finish up our sermon series this morning on the seven letters of Jesus. We've been looking at these uh, for the past several weeks. This morning, we finish up with the church at Laodicea and Jesus uh, writing to them. And let's stand together in honor of the reading of God's word. And to the angel of the church in Laodicea write, the words of the Amen, the faithful and true witness, the beginning of God's creation. I know your works. You are neither hot nor you are neither cold nor hot. Would that you were either cold or hot. So because you were lukewarm and neither hot nor cold, I will spit you out of my mouth. For you say I am rich, I am pro- I have prospered, and I need nothing, not realizing that you are wretched pitiable, poor, blind, and naked. I counsel you to buy from me gold refined by fire so that you may be rich and white garments so that you may clothe yourself and the shame of your nakedness may not be seen and salve to anoint your eyes so that you may see. Those whom I love I reprove and discipline so be zealous and repent. Behold, I stand at the door and knock. If anyone hears my voice, and opens the door, I will come into him and eat with him, and he with me. The one who conquers, I will grant him to sit with me on my throne, as I also conquered and sat down with my father on his throne. He who has an ear, let him hear what the Spirit says to the churches. Father, let the words of our mouths and the meditation of our heart be acceptable in your sight. In Jesus' name, amen. You may be seated. I don't know if you've ever had this experience before, of having something and and you uh, looking for a cool drink of water or a a nice refreshing drink. It's a hot day or something and you think that you're getting uh, a good cool drink of water. Now when I was a kid, it was okay to drink out of the hose pipe. Uh, Nowadays they tell us that you shouldn't drink out of the hose pipe and I haven't figured that one out yet. I I drink out of the hose pipe all my life and look at me. So... uh, but I can remember being real thirsty and going to grab that, uh, that hose pipe and turning the water on and putting it up to your mouth and not thinking that there was water that had already been sitting in there for several days or so. And that water comes out and it's what? It's hot. And you get that and immediately you spit that water out and you wait on the cooler water to come. It's kind of the image. This is one of the, of the seven letters. This is probably the most famous of the letters, the one that we know of the most because it gives that imagery of Jesus being so dissatisfied with the church at Laodicea that he says, he gives this judgment against them. I'm so upset with you that I'm going to spit you out of my mouth. Um, and when I was a youth minister, we'd always sit here and we'd talk a few minutes about vomit. So we're not, we're not going to do that this morning because we're mature adults in here, and I don't want to get everybody giggling, all right? But he pronounces the harshest judgment on the church at Laodicea when he says this. He wants to spit them out of his mouth. These things had become strongholds in the church at Laodicea. Pride. They were a very proud people. They were proud of their accomplishments. They were proud of who they were. Apathy. They were just kind of half-hearted in what they were doing, and they were very self-reliant. They didn't feel like they needed help from anyone. And and Jesus, because of these attitudes, he disciplines them, but he gives them a chance to repent. 
their needs go deeper than what their resources can handle because their needs are not physical, their needs are not economical, their needs are spiritual. And Jesus is pointing this out to this group of people. So let's, as we have in the past few weeks, let's dive into this and examine how Jesus talks to this group and what he wants them to do in response. First of all, as in all the letters, we see Jesus proclaiming himself in his glory and telling the people there in Laodicea through the writings of John, he's telling them that I am Jesus, I am God himself. I am, I am, I am in charge, I am deity, and don't doubt that for a moment. He begins in this, in this passage of scripture, and he describes himself these three ways. He says, I am the amen. When we say amen, what, what are we putting it at? We're putting it at the end of something. Jesus says, I am the amen. I am the final authority. I have the last word. I have, all the, I have the last say in every situation. I am the amen, and there's none other than me. He says, I am the true and faithful witness. I am the one that you can trust completely in everything, in every situation. I am true and faithful. We looked last week at true and faithful and we realize that those words mean that he is reliable and that he is also holy. So he goes on and he ends by saying that he was the beginning of God's creation. Now you could misinterpret that there and say that Jesus is saying that he was a created being, but Jesus is not saying that. Jesus is clearly saying that I was a part of creation. I was a, I am a, the creator. John has written before of Jesus in John chapter, in the gospel of John, in chapter 1 at the beginning, he says, in the beginning was the word, and the word was with God, and the word was God. Jesus is again declaring that he was a very part of creation, and that he's not a created being. So, he declares these things to the church at Laodicea so that they know immediately who he is and his authority. Now, we look at the takeaway of what, how he examines this church. And here's the interesting part that we get to with the phrase lukewarm. Now, six miles away from Laodicea is a place called Aeropolis. And they are famous because they have great hot springs. The water temperature gets it to about 95 degrees Fahrenheit, and people come all around to uh, take part in the hot springs there in, in this city that's about six miles away. Not much further away from them is the city of Colossa. And in, in Colossa, there is great, beautiful, pure, cold, refreshing water. And so Laodicea sits here at kind of an intersection, and when they built the city, they didn't build the city because of a water supply. They built the city because of the trade route that it was on. And so after building the city, they had to build great stone aqueducts to pipe in water to the city. Now, in those great stone aqueducts was a lot of uh, nasty uh, carbon calcium uh, carbonate, and it, when it got to Laodicea after traveling all that far, it would actually make you physically sick and cause you to vomit. So Jesus uses imagery here 
as he talks about spitting them out of his mouth, he's using imagery that they understand in their everyday life. Their water sometimes is so bad that it causes them to spit it out of their mouth. And so he begins by saying this, by pronouncing this judgment on them, you are lukewarm. You're kind of just there. You're kind of just hanging around. We would describe it as apathy. In today's lingo, it would be someone who just kind of shrugs their shoulders in every situation and says, whatever. Doesn't matter to me. I'm just, I'm just here. I'm just glad to be a part. Whatever happens may happen. It's that take it or leave it person. And Jesus is saying, spiritually, you have, become, you have come to a point in your spiritual walk where you are so apathetic, you can just kind of take it or leave it. It's being halfway committed to something. It's being halfway committed, and it's being halfway committed in a way that you say, well, I'm, I'm sort of committed to my spiritual walk, and so that makes it better than if I were an enemy of God. Being halfway committed makes it better than if I'm, if I'm against God or if I'm against the teachings of God. So I'll be halfway committed, and we think that that's the better way. We think maybe that's a step in the right direction, and maybe I'll catch traction at some point. But the important thing here is this. Jesus disagrees in a big way. He says, I wish that you were either hot or cold. You know who the hardest person to reach is with, with, with spiritual things? The hardest person to reach is the whatever person. The hardest person to reach is the apathetic person. The hardest person to reach with spiritual matters and in these situations is that person who kind of says, well, I don't really need anything. I'm, I'm doing okay. I'm self-sufficient. Everything is okay in my life, so I really don't need more of Jesus. I'm just kind of hanging on. Now, we've come to a point in uh, our spiritual lives in our churches today I read this as I'm reading through the I Will book uh, that we're doing on Sunday evenings. Tom Rainer's research through Lifeway says this, what we call a committed church attender now is this, a committed church attender is someone who attends church one out of every four Sundays. That's what we call a committed church member now, a church, church attender. Now, when I became a Christian 25 years ago, and when I grew up in church, someone who attended church one out of every four Sundays, unless they had military duty or they were uh, serving, uh, they were in the medical profession or their job took them away and they had to be there, somebody who attended church one out of every four Sundays, they were, they were looked at as they're, they're not committed. A lot of times we would we would pray for them because we thought maybe they were backslid, and they just weren't. Something was going on. That, that's a word that's foreign to us nowadays. But but nowadays we say if somebody if somebody puts forth the effort to be here one out of every four Sundays, we'll say they're a regular attendee. And that is that's what we have. We are so apathetic now that we come to accept that as just the status quo. Apathy has become the religion of our day and time. 
Here's a quote that I read this week. It says, perhaps none of the seven letters is more appropriate to the 21st century church than this. It describes vividly the respectable, sentimental, nominal, skin-deep religiosity which is so widespread among us today. Our Christianity is flabby and anemic. We appear to have taken a lukewarm bath. But here's what it looks normal to us. It has become to a, a point to where it looks normal to us just to go through these things and to be half-hearted. Apathy towards Jesus Christ is out of sync when you think about how worthy he is of our full effort and our full love and our full devotion. Apathy towards our spiritual walk with him goes in complete contrast to what it should be. You think about the glory and the wonder and the beauty of Jesus Christ. You think about the splendor and the, and the act of mercy and grace that he has given us. You think about those things, and then you think about our, our lukewarm, bored, whatever comes may happen sort of response to him, and it provides a huge gap in what it should be. It provides a huge gap. It shows what, how out of sync we are. We have come to a place where we complain, people my age, we complain about our children and, and, and the people in, in sports nowadays in Little League or football or whatever they're playing. If they just show up and they just go through the motions, what do they get? They get a trophy. I, I, coached, a, I coached a little baseball team one time, eight and under, and we finished fourth place, fourth out of four teams. I'm no Brian Snicker, all right? Y'all don't know who Brian is. I'm no Bobby Cox. There you go. All right, we finished fourth out of fourth. Joey Spivey and I, two youth ministers together, coaching a baseball team. Fourth out of fourth. A woman at the end of the season came up to us and said, when are we having our pizza party and getting our trophies? And, and before I could say anything, Joey Spivey looked at her and said, ma'am, do you realize we finished last place? We don't get trophies. And she was appalled at that. But we always get trophies. And Joey went on to describe to her, that's what's wrong with America today. Is it any different in church now? We expect to just halfway do things, to just half-heartedly give an effort, to just go through the motions, and we expect to get a spiritual participation trophy for it. We expect to just halfway pray, to just halfway commit to study, to just halfway commit to being here, to just halfway commit to doing everything. And we expect that God is just supposed to bless us abundantly with everything and anything that we want and give us spiritual participation trophies. It shouldn't work that way. It shouldn't be that way. The Christian who is not apathetic is not relying on the minister or the music minister or anybody else to stoke their fire. The Christian who is not apathetic is praying, they're studying, and most importantly, they're going and they're telling. They're letting other people know about the Lord Jesus Christ and their relationship with him. And he goes on to tell these people, you're not just lukewarm, but you're spiritually bankrupt. Laodicea is one of the most wealthy cities in all of Asia Minor. They are a huge banking industry. They are a huge fabric industry. 
they have they are the first people that we know have an ophthalmology um, ophthalmology center. They are so wealthy that a great earthquake destroyed the whole city of Laodicea, and they did not have to have any help from the Roman government in rebuilding the city. They had so much money that they were able to rebuild it all on their own without any help from Rome. And so they're proud of this. They are so proud of, of what they're able to do financially. And Jesus tells them this. He says, you think you are rich, but you're wretched, you're pitiful, you're poor, you're blind, and you're naked. That's not what they want to hear. They don't want to hear those words that point out the truth of their condition. Now, what's the wealthiest nation in the world? You're here. Hello? The wealthiest nation in the world is what? United States. All right? What nation has uh, the wealthiest nation in the world has the most psychologists and psychotherapists? You think about that. The wealthiest nation in the world, and we have the most psychologists and psychotherapists. Now, mental health is a huge issue in our churches today, and if we have uh, issues there, we should seek out those people. But here's the situation. If money made people happy, would America be so unhappy? More money is not the answer. More money is not the answer. It's not the issue. The problem is this, I was created with a void in my life. I was created with something missing in my life, and that's a relationship with God. And I was created in such a way as to seek how to satisfy that need in my life. I was created to know God and to love God completely and to make Him first and foremost in my life. Now, here's what happens to mess that up. I get so caught up in self, I get so caught up in worshiping the things that are created, we get so caught up in these things, even though we're made to know and love God, that we rebel against God and we worship ourselves and the material things of this world. And Jesus plainly said in the Gospels, what does it profit a man if he gained the whole world and lose his own soul? And Jesus is saying here to this church at Laodicea, you are the exact people that I was talking about. You have physical, economical wealth. You are relying on those things, and they have become a stumbling block to you because you put those things ahead of the relationship that we have together. And he goes on to tell them as he turns things around, he says, I am everything that you need. Look here in verses uh, number beginning in number 18 through 20. He says, I counsel you to buy from me gold refined by fire so that you may be rich and white garments so that you may clothe yourself and the shame of your nakedness may not be seen and salve to anoint your eyes so that you may see. Those whom I love, I reprove and discipline, so be zealous and repent. Behold, I stand at the door and knock. If anyone hears my voice and opens the door, I will come into him and eat with him and he with me. He begins by telling them, stop being so self-reliant. 
In your self-reliance, you have completely ignored all the blessings that I have for you. The things that you have heaped up in front of you, the treasures, the money, the, 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 the fashion, the apparel that you have heaped up in front of you, all of these things are going to pass away someday. He says, I am, I, am, I am giving you this advice. Get the spiritual wealth you need from me because it will never end and it will never go away. Store up your treasures in heaven. Stop worrying about, the, the, about keeping up with the Joneses because what you don't know is that the Joneses have mortgaged their house two, three times to outdo you. All right, if you're here and you're a Jones, I'm just throwing Jones out, okay? I'm not, don't look at the Joneses and say, did you know that about them? Now, he's calling the church to leave off their attempts to clothe themselves in the physical sense. You see, in Laodicea, they had a special fabric that no one else had. And they adorned themselves in that fabric. It was black. And it was shiny, and it was something that was envied by the other uh, cities around. They would come from great, great lengths to come and buy this fabric. And the people of Laodicea were proud of this. And Jesus says, I will, I will put you in a white raiment that will never grow old. Now, he says in verse 17, you may have all these things, but you're naked. And I have exposed that nakedness and I want to cover it up with my righteousness. Now what if I told you you could have wealth that would never run out? What if I told you you could have wealth that would never run out? What, uh, you see these commercials all the time. These people who will tell you um, that, that they can beat the market or, or if you, uh, you know, they take your, all your money out of mutual funds and give it to me and I'll, I'll make sure you have wealth that's forever. Or, and, and you read, look at those commercials and you think, well, I, I, I always sit and think, I wonder how many people are really calling those people, you know, and, and believing that. Because we all want to have enough to take us to the end of our lives and, 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 and probably to leave our, for our children so that they have wealth. Jesus is saying, forget about all those things. Don't put those things first, but invest in your eternal treasures invest it i have wealth for you spiritually that will never run out now what if i told you that you could have clothing that would never go out of style what if i told you that you could buy clothes today and and you could buy them today in 2018 and in 2028 they'd still be in style you wouldn't have to buy new clothes I walked by Bree's closet yesterday, and this thought jumped into my head. My goodness, that's awful. You can't walk in it. She moved me out of it. Not 15 minutes later, after I said, oh, my goodness, that's awful, she said, hey, you want to help me clean my closet out? It was 5.30 in the afternoon. I said, Bree, it's almost dark now. I said, I don't want to get involved in that. It's about time to go to bed. She said, you going to bed at 8 o'clock? I said, I ain't getting involved in that. I promise you, boy, we're going to be in trouble after church. I promise you there are sweaters in her closet, and some of you women can raise your hand and say, there are sweaters in her closet from the eighth grade. 
And when we got married, she said these words to me. She said, you never know when it will come back in style. I don't know, has it come back in style yet? And again, she says it will come back once, two, three times in her lifetime. She'll be at the, she'll be at the Piedmont Healthcare wearing a sweater she had in eighth grade, but she'll be in style. Jesus is saying this. He's saying, I want to clothe you in something. I want to clothe you in my righteousness. And my righteousness will never go out of style. My righteousness will never get dirty. My righteousness will never be outgrown, and my, my righteousness will never wear out. He's saying to that church at Laodicea, Take my right, clothe myself, clothe yourself in my righteousness, and make that your first priority. And then he goes on to tell them, I'm saying these things to you because I love you. I am disciplining, disciplining you because I love you. Now, in my generation, you got whippings. And how many of you ever heard these words from the person that was whipping you? This hurts me worse than it hurts you. I still don't believe it. Because it hurts. If it hurts them worse than it hurt me, they quit doing it. Bob Jones Sr. tells this story. Bob Jones Sr. has passed away now, but he told this story years ago. When he was young in preaching ministry and evangelism, sometimes he would be gone from home for two to three weeks at a time. And he said that end up the thing that drove him was getting home to see his son. And he said that one particular occasion, he'd been gone about three weeks on preaching uh, through different states. And he said all the way driving home for several hours, all he could think about was walking in the door and his son running into his arms and them sitting down and them catching up and them spending time together and them just uh, enjoying the fellowship of a father and a son. And he said that on this particular occasion, when he came into the house, he walked into the kitchen, he set down his bags, and his wife was there in the kitchen, and she had tears streaming down her face. And Bob Jones Sr. said, Honey, what's wrong? And she said, Well, Bob Jr. did this, and he's in so much trouble, and I've had to discipline him, and I've had to put him to bed, and I am so upset. And Bob Jones Sr. said his heart sank because he wasn't going to go into the room and wake his son up and go against what his, his wife's discipline. But he said he went to the doorway and he stood there, and as the moon shined through, he could see his son lying there, and he saw where tears had been streaming down his son's face. And he said, tears were streaming down my face because I couldn't go in and have fellowship with my son. And I couldn't go in and spend that time with him. And he said, it dawned on me then. This is how God the Father feels when I sin. This is how God the Father is grieved when I sin. Because he wants to have fellowship and he wants to have communion with me. And he wants to enjoy this relationship to the fullest. And when I sin and when I drift and when I'm lukewarm and when I just go through the motions... And we're not having the fullness of that relationship that we could have. And God is grieved in this way. You see, God loves us so much that he disciplines us. He loves us enough that he wants us to be righteous. Paul wrote to the church at Rome in Romans 12, 1 and 2. 
and he said these words to them. He said, I appeal to you, therefore, brothers, by the mercies of God, to present your bodies as a living sacrifice, holy and acceptable to God, which is your spiritual worship. Do not be conformed to this world, but be transformed by the renewal of your mind, that by testing you may discern what is the will of God, what is good and acceptable and perfect. Jesus is saying to the church at Laodicea, I'm disciplining you because I want you to live in righteousness. I want you to share in my righteousness. He says, I love you enough to confront your unrighteousness. I can tell you this as a pastor from a pulpit. There is not, I read through the Proverbs and the Psalms a couple of times a year. There's not a time that I read through the Proverbs and the Psalms that God doesn't point something out to me in my life about my own unrighteousness and my own doubts and my own worries and my own fears. And he confronts me about those things to the Holy Spirit and he wants me to correct them because he confronts me with them. He loves us enough that he inspired this word that we have with us that we should be diligently digging through every day to grow in this relationship with him. He said in 2 Timothy chapter 3 and 16, paraphrasing, he said every Every word here is breathed and inspired by God. And it is breathed not only for our encouragement, but sometimes for our correction. And in these verses here, as we look at Revelation 3, the church of Laodicea, we see so much of the American church in these verses. And it should call us and inspire us that God is correcting us. But most of all, He loves us enough that He calls us to repent all of these churches he gives an opportunity as he points these things out five out of the seven churches he says these are the these are the things that are wrong but i'm asking you i'm pointing these things out because i want you to repent and i want you to do better i want you to live your life in in a constant relationship with me repentance is one of the constant themes of these seven letters It's to repent. But here's the thing he's saying to the Laodicean church. He's saying you are so spiritually blind that you can't see your need to repent. You are so spiritually blind that you can't see your need for me. You have gone through the motions for so long and you have sat and you've been lukewarm for so long that you think that it's just normal to live this way. And because of that, you can't see your need to repent. And so I am having to make this harsh judgment and say to you, you have to repent. But he gives them this hope when he says this. He says, I stand at the door and knock. Anyone who will open the door, I will come in and I will sit down and, 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 and dine with you and you with me. We'll have intimate fellowship together. Now the imagery we've seen so many times of Jesus standing and knocking at the door. We see the picture. There's a picture here in our hallway of of Jesus standing knocking at the door. What do we notice about the outside of that door? There's no what? There's no doorknob. Now we get all hyper spiritual and and, and come up with all kind of theories. Now here's what the, the real truth of that matter is is that where the Laodiceans lived, the Roman soldiers who came into that city, when they came, if you had a doorknob, they didn't have to ask you if they could come in. 
They could simply just come and open the door and they could come in and whatever you had to eat was theirs and you might even have to give up your bed for them to sleep in. So the people there in Laodicea devised different ways to try to keep the soldiers from just barging into their house and one of those ways was to not have a doorknob and to secure the door so maybe they would go on to someone else. But Jesus says, I stand at the door and knock. I'm not just going to to barge in. I'm not going to kick the door open. I stand at the door and knock. I'm seeking to have a relationship with you. And once, once you open that door and I come in, we're going to sit down together. You're going to sit down with the creator of the universe, the one who loves you, the one who sacrificed his life in your place, the one who substituted himself for your sins. And when we have that fellowship together, it's going to start a longing in your heart to have more fellowship with me and a longing in your heart to spend more time with me and a longing in your heart to grow more and more in that relationship with me. He's saying to those people there in the church at Laodicean, there, there may have been a point where you open the door and you let me in But somewhere in the way, you left the fellowship with me and you went about the busyness of your life and you went about heaping up all these things that you thought were precious and possessions and you've left me sitting there at the dinner table and our relationship has grown lukewarm. This morning, I want to end this way. As we end on these uh, seven churches, I want to take this time And maybe you're here this morning and you know that the Holy Spirit is speaking to your heart and you know that Jesus is there and he is asking you, he's making an opportunity for you to have a relationship with him. Maybe this morning you want to begin that relationship by simply repenting of your sins, asking forgiveness of your sins and turning from those sins and going in a different direction and beginning a relationship with him. Maybe you're here this morning and you know that you've grown lukewarm. Maybe you know that you have, are in that situation where the things and the cares of this world have become so great to you that you're just kind of whatever. You're just kind of going through the motions. It would be a wonderful time for you to take where, where you're sitting right there, where you're standing, just to say, Lord, I'm sorry, and I want to repent, and I want to come back to the place where of, of a relationship with you where I'm hungry for more of you. Maybe that's where you are. Maybe you're being disobedient in baptism. Maybe you have been saved and you have not come to a point to where you have proclaimed it publicly and, and, and went through uh, believer's baptism. Maybe you're struggling. You know you're supposed to be a member of this church. You haven't taken care of that yet. Whatever the situation is right now is the perfect time for you to do that. Darren, would you come and lead us in this time of invitation, a time of worship, a time of reflection? Would you stand with me this morning as we pray? Father, thank you for the hour. Thank you for this time. Thank you for the opportunity to share the gospel of Jesus Christ. I pray this morning that you would stir in our hearts a desire to be hungry for you, a desire to have more of you, a desire to grow in our relationship with you. I pray that the cares and the troubles and the worries of this world would be placed behind us and that we would look to you 
to be our chain breaker. We would look to you to be our pain taker. Whatever it is, Lord, if we need to come to these altars and we need to pray and we need to, to sorrowfully cry out to you, then give us the courage to do so. Father, in all these things, we ask it in Jesus' name. Amen.